in a world where literature is dominated by dusty leather-bound books with no pictures. Three men dare to venture to their local comic shop to approach the counter and utter those three magic words. Make mine paperback. Welcome in and welcome back to Make Mine Paperback, a podcast about comic books and the shoe manufacturing business based in Brantford, New Hampshire, formerly run by CEO Samuel Parrish, who later retired and handed over control to his son, Alan Parrish. It's known as Parrish Shoe Company, and it's host to the burial site of the board game known only as Jumanji. I'm the game master running games faster, Graham Giles. With me, as always, our fellow players, the devil drum drives dice-driven drama, our detective comics demon, Stephen Shear, and his mortal roles mean a menagerie of monstrous mosquitoes, our Marvel master, Alex Shear. This week we spent 24 hours with our spooky character, John D., also known as Dr. Destiny in The Sandman Number 6. We delve into a scarier place as we watch him unleash impossibly dark terror on six unsuspecting people in a small-town diner. But before we get to that, Stephen, what'd you read this week? Well, Graham, that was quite the alliteration, first of all. <laughs> Second, the, re- the listeners will have to forgive my transgression this week, as I didn't get a chance to read any comics, as I was very busy and sick. But I did play a lot of Doom Eternal, if that's any consolation. It's 100% consolation. Okay. cool. <laughs> Alex, did you get any comic book reading in? Didn't get any comic book reading in, but I did work on my Marvel year-by-year visual history, uh, working through kind of the creation of various Marvel comics and characters, things like that. A lot of cool historical facts about timely becoming Marvel comics, different guys who created guys like Aquaman, Captain America, the Marvel version of Thor, uh, based off of the uh, Norse mythology, things like that, so... Really, really uh, big read, as you guys can see, so I clearly didn't finish it, but a really great one as well, and you guys are definitely going to have to borrow this sometime. A lot of good stuff in it. Great. It looks like a textbook for all of you uh, it podcast feels like a listeners textbook. out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I a guess course I could only, ace. I'm just saying. I guess I'm the only one who read comics this week. <laughs> the uh, I read... Um, Zero Hour, which is kind of the follow-up to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, when that uh, when that crisis happened in the DC universe, what happened is we had a lot of continuity errors now because there's no more multiverse; it's just one Earth, and we've kind of combined people, and some people have died, and some people are just left over from old Earths, and it's uh, DC trying to figure out how do we. <laughs> get rid of these continuity errors now that we don't have a multiverse to pawn them off on. Um, and so I've been uh, reading my way through that and uh, kind of fun. Yeah, did they go. resolve the continuity issues? Well, I mean, for the most part, obviously, that's uh, <laughs> comics are known for continuity issues, so they didn't entirely wipe them out. But the ones created by uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths are uh, mostly resolved by zero hour. So, to get started this week, our theme for the month of October is the spookiest characters in comics. Uh, Last week we talked a little bit about Venom. This week we're talking about a character 
who doesn't get much love in the DC universe until Neil Gaiman brings him into the Sandman. Uh, we're talking about the Sandman number six, uh, which is an issue about uh, John D, otherwise known as Dr. Destiny. Before this point, Dr. Destiny has broken out of Arkham Asylum. He has gone, he has kidnapped a woman, had forced her to take him to a warehouse where he has retrieved his dream ruby, um, which is the ruby created by uh, Morpheus or Sandman or Dream. Uh, he has many different names, but the main character of the Sandman uh, creates this stone full of his powers, uh, and so granting Dr. Destiny these powers when he takes control of this stone, uh, we see Dr. Destiny unleash the powers on six unsuspecting victims in a diner, and uh, just over the course of 24 hours bring them varying terrors and some things not so terrible. Uh, what do you think of the book this week, guys? Well, you did the build-up last week, I would say, was, was worth it. This was quite a read. Mm-hmm. Dr. Destiny is quite a spooky villain. Uh, one of the things that you know stood out to me was that it seemed like he was doing it just because he could. And that's a pretty spooky villain to trap people for 24 hours just because you have the power to for no gain is uh, was pretty terrifying. And then the way he tortures them even is is something else. So you did not exaggerate the buildup. That was my first impression. Well, and I'll tell you this. I was I was really a big fan of just how much more intense this was than a lot of the other things that we've read. There was a lot more mature and more adult driven content than the Spider-Man comics than the you know a lot of the other things that we've read Invincible and so I just thought it was really interesting that this was very very clearly written for an adult audience and I think a lot of people put into their minds that comics are for children and Neil Gaiman clearly said no that's not the case comics are for everyone let me show you yeah Alex you beat me to the punch on that that was going to be something I was going to say too is that uh, this comic was definitely not for children. I mean, the pictures in it were, you know, were very intense. Some of them. I mean, uh, one scene, the guy stabbing his eyes out was was pretty um, mm-hmm. unnerving. So, I do think that comics can be made for adults as well, and, and the pictures definitely add to that as well. Sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, that's Neil Gaiman is known for writing dark stories. Um, whether it be graphic stories or uh, just regular um, words-based uh, <laughs> stories, the uh, they're always dark, um, and I think he does a great job with it. Um, and that's that's something that uh, the Sandman. One of my reasons I, I like it so much is that we take Gaiman's words and Gaiman's story and combine it with an art style that uh, really elevates it, and we get the feel right away. Um, just how dark this story is. Yeah, and I think that was I think that was what I thought was super interesting right off the rip. Right, I mean, you're looking you're looking at these first pages. It's it's that setting in the diner, you know, and it, and it seems innocent enough, right? It just you get that kind of at least I got it that innocent vibe, that chill kind of hey, this is this is where tales are made. And I think it's interesting. There's a lot of foreshadowing in just the first page or two. But one of the lines that kind of stuck out to me was the part where they mentioned all stories end with a happy ending because if you take them too far, they all end in death. If that isn't like 
a huge slice of foreshadowing to this book. I, I don't know what is. And I thought it was a very appropriately placed piece of foreshadowing. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and, and since I knew a little bit about the book going into it, it kind of took the edge off. But it would, when you start reading, yeah, you're just reading about the, the waitress who's just writing all these nice stories about all of her customers. It kind of lulls you into a false sense of security. And then as soon as you see John D show up, I mean, you know, like the, the picture show, that's why I love comics, is because you can see from the pictures, you look at this guy and you're like, something's not quite right with this guy. So immediately it goes from a, a fun story about the stories the waitress gathers from these customers immediately and, and then you focus on this guy you know it's going to go somewhere dark but if you didn't know it was going to be a dark story at the beginning i could see it seeming like a, a fun little small town diner story mm-hmm. well that's you know when we introduced the book last week i mentioned that this one is almost a one shot and this is the point where it's it's not a one shot because um if you came in um thinking of this as just a one-shot comic book, you would miss out on the, the reasons that uh, Dr. Destiny is in this diner. You would miss out on why he has these powers, and you would really miss out on uh, Morpheus's appearance at the end and who this guy is. Um, but I think it's really interesting to talk about, uh, you know, at the beginning we have the waitress kind of narrating or internal narration, um, these stories that she writes about her customers. And, uh, I mean, she is just on paper creating these um, vivid dreamlike realities uh, for these people. She is, you know, taking control of their lives via yellow legal pad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we watch Dr. Destiny, we watch John D. do it in real life. He takes control of their stories and writes them how he sees fit. Um, and we can kind of see that, you know, with our waitress she's not being vindictive and she's trying to she is still trying to end the stories the way she wants to to uh wants them to end mm-hmm. and, you know she takes the uh you know the lesbian character and makes it so that her and her partner end up with what what she says like nice young boys yeah yeah like that. nice young men or whatever um and so the uh she is taking control of their reality and you know warping it to how she sees fit but she is certainly kinder than uh, Dr. Destiny. Well, and I wanted to talk about that for a second. Her stories were just so much more, like you said, kinder, but just the way that she kind of did things. And it's just like, I just want people to be happy. And like, you got that vibe from her. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I did want to kind of mention this, the, the stone where he was kind of warping reality a little bit. I couldn't help but think of Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet and the Reality Stone. You know, my question is, is was he really controlling these guys or was it like Thanos where he's like, well, I'm going to make reality whatever I want it to be, even if it's not truly happening? Obviously, I didn't continue further on into the series. I didn't read 7, 8, or 9 or anything. But to me, this felt like a much more intensive Reality Stone where it's... uh, this is what's going to happen and it doesn't matter if it's real to you or not it's really going to happen yeah that's that's a good point and um it's definitely interesting too that he he's in the diner while while he has every because they do mention that the rest of the world is, is kind of going crazy at the same time as well mm-hmm. so he, he clearly has the he can affect everybody's perception at the same time which is mm-hmm. 
uh, quite quite the power sure. um because it was because i remember um because he had like airplanes falling out of the sky people falling asleep um but yeah it, it seems like his powers were more kind of altering reality to me other than mind control at least that's the vibe i got mm-hmm. so the uh the story with the dream ruby is that it's one of the three tools that dream or morpheus whatever you want to call him uh he makes for himself and um the uh, originally uh it's this group of occultists to start this sandman series uh are trying to summon the devil and uh they end up summoning or maybe they're trying to summon death um I, i'm not sure which but uh they're trying to the point is they're trying to summon a very powerful demon is their whole goal and they end up summoning morpheus who is also a powerful demon but he's not the one that they wanted and so foolishly they go ahead and uh imprison morpheus um in this you know bubble kind of thing um where they uh where where he's trapped uh and then they strip him of his uh his tools and one of his tools is this dream ruby and the dream ruby is it's explained kind of as just it contains a great deal of his power he puts a bunch of his power into this ruby and if you hold this ruby then you can use his powers um and so uh, dream has these crazy power he's the personification of dreams um which means that he just knows all of the world's stories. He knows all of the stories of the universe because stories, even when they're written down or told out loud, they are dreams. They have to come from somewhere. Uh, so he has these he has these powers of, of dreams. He can project uh, dreams to people where he can make these illusions um, that people think are really happening. And uh, dreams, illusions are so vivid that you can actually physically interact with them. Um, so that's the uh it is similar to the reality stone in that respect especially as you know when we talk about marvel the way wanda uses the reality stone um this is very similar um to that but it's all based around dreams so uh when you're dreaming this uh dream ruby has um almost complete control over you uh over your entire dream over your entire universe that's going on in your dream and also your ability to wake up from those dreams Uh, but while you're awake it can also affect you i mean the same way that you can daydream while you're awake the reality stone can kind of take control of uh what you perceive yeah not the reality stone the dream ruby sorry (laughs) (laughs) getting confused now um uh but i was gonna say now um so these oh yeah because he, he gets them to stay you know he gets them all trapped by uh making them forget how long it's been um but some of the stuff he does to them was was pretty pretty brutal i mean um so are we to assume then that do these people know then what's happening to them or is it just when that brief moment when he allows it to happen so do these do you think these people know then what he's putting them through I don't think so. I don't think for most of it they do know that they're being manipulated. Uh, I think he uh, gives them their minds back, and that allows them to realize that they have been manipulated and they remember everything they've done. Uh, but I think for most of it they don't realize what's going on. I was going to say, I mean, just based off of based off of that section where he does give them their ability to kind of remember and see what is 
transpired. To me, there's no way that they know. You know, they. I think it's more of a, they woke up and they're like, wait, I did this, or we did this, whatever it may be. So that's kind of, that was kind of the avenue I kind of got from that. Yeah, me too. It's just, you know, if he's, if he's doing all these things, it's just really then for his entertainment at that point. Mm-hmm. So I guess that does add to the case that he's a pretty spooky villain just because he's doing all that stuff just for sure. his entertainment. Well, I think we see him in the corner booth, and I think just looks-wise, he's a pretty spooky villain. Even if he didn't do anything else, just well, looking like he does, he's spooky. That was kind of my <laughs> thought, too, is that the, the waitress was... was you know, like I want to talk to him at the end of the night when when everybody else is cleared out, and I'm just thinking there's no way in the world if some guy walked in like that that I would wait until the diner's clear and then approach him and and ask him his story. That that was yeah. I just wouldn't do it. Exactly, she's braver than I am. <laughs> yeah, I think she's worked in the diner long enough that she's seen some people having pretty rough days, and so she's okay with the with John D's appearance. But I certainly was not. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned that, right? I, I wanted to kind of talk about that. Like, she wasn't even phased by him at all. He he literally, he's just sitting there. He's like, I want to watch TV. And she's like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Like, just absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, there's, you know, there's a level of, like, maybe this is a classic truck stop diner whatever. So you're going to get a variety of the way people are dressed. But, I mean, this guy just looks terrifying. Like, <laughs> If I'm her, I'm having the police like on standby, you know, like that just I I got an uncomfortable feeling just looking at him. But she clearly was just like, whatever, dude's had maybe a rough life. Like, yeah, I think about it because when she goes over some of the stories she tells about the people, she does know like some of the reality and not just what she makes up. But some of the realities of those people are pretty, um, you know, not very wholesome. So I guess she probably has seen some things working in a truck stop diner. Sure. We'll talk about the way that um, she's very nonchalant about him being there. She narrates, what, the first quarter of the book? We spend the first 25% of this issue not even knowing that he's already in the diner, right? She's talking about everybody else there because they're more interesting than this creepy dude sitting in the corner. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe I would, that's I would... part of it, right? Maybe because he's not doing anything. She doesn't know his story. She can't really concoct anything because she doesn't know anything about him. Like, I mean, she talked about the one truck driver, like, oh, yeah, he's doing trucking now. He talks about the girls, you know, oh, I'm going to set them up with nice guys. She knows nothing about this guy, just that he came in to sit down. So maybe that's part of it. So we start out the story with just, like, it feels like a small-town diner with small-town stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand that everybody has some sort of, like, kind of secrets going on i mean there's the way the waitress talks about we know that these people have richer lives than we're led to believe but it just feels like a small town diner with small town stories and then we see dr destiny in the corner uh and i think that revelation when we switch from uh our waitress's point of view to his point of view and suddenly everybody is is flies within caught within his web um i think that's where the story gets really creepy really fast yeah, I agree. I mean, that was that's kind of what I was thinking the whole time I was reading it. I mean, he is a very spooky villain because he, yeah, he thinks he just the way he thinks of his victims as flies is pretty. Uh, you know, that says a lot. And the fact that he can have control over the whole world and the individual diner. I mean, he has control over a lot of things at the same time. And the first thing he does, is he takes away their 
like perception of time so they keep they don't realize how long they've been there and they don't realize that they want to leave and they need to leave is um and they kind of voluntarily stay in the trap mm -hmm. yeah is is the 24 hour period significant or just because that's a day I think it's just because that's a day. I don't. I haven't noticed anything about it that would make it um, super significant. Although I'm sure um, somebody who's more versed on the Sandman um, probably knows more than I do wh whether it's uh, significant or not. But as far as I know, it's just because it's a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think Neil, Neil Gaiman did a really good job because from what I read about. Uh, John D. Dr. Destiny he kind of started off as a bit of a joke villain and then Neil Gaiman really wanted to beef him up a little bit and you know make him scary and I think he accomplished that with with the Sandman well I think he very much accomplished that with the Sandman and I'm and I'm looking through some of this stuff right here again just looking at it and it's like the art is meh it's okay but the story is very well done like the the way that the art coincides with the story makes the art feel a lot stronger than I think the art really is, and so for me, I, I'm just very impressed with the the actual storyline itself. Yeah, I think I think the art though is still is pretty powerful because I remember sure. one of the last few scenes is just like him walking out of the diner and now everybody's dead, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know we get you know Morpheus show we get the intro back to Morpheus, sure. but you know before that the the scene of him leaving the diner was. Um, could have been disturbing well it is interesting we get we get these 24 hours with these characters and for the first part of it we don't see dr destiny at all and by hour 23 everyone else in the diner is dead mm -hmm. meaning that like we have 24 hours we only have 24 hours with these characters but six seven of these hours you know almost, almost a third of them are dedicated to things other than dr destiny um, so it, it is kind of terrifying that this guy goes, I have 16, 17 hours, and in that time I will torture you and kill you um, so badly that I, when I read this issue and uh, we were talking about spooky characters, I immediately thought this is the one to go with. Yeah, I think you did a good choice, and um, this this book really didn't uh, hold any punches. I there's the one scene when he's still in the diner and he makes the TV, the, the kids show on the TV, the guy with the puppet, when he, when he starts making him, you know, saying, Hey, you know, cut your wrist. I was like, wow, that is a, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's, um, that was pretty dark, but I mean, but again, I mean, it's a spooky villain. He, Neil Gaiman just didn't want to hold back and, you know, I think he did a good job with it. He didn't, he didn't make it needlessly dark. I mean, he didn't, he didn't go overboard with it, but he did show how he could get, as dark as he needed to to prove I a point. I, I I don't know if he went didn't go needlessly dark. Um, I I would counter that he went. Maybe this is just a casual observer, but I feel like he went really really dark. I mean, going to the point where he's talking about like necrophilia, like oh yeah. The, I, mean, I mean, that's really dark, and that's like that's content you don't just like talk about. Like hey, you know, yeah. So I know this person that you know went and slept with this dead guy, like. And then the fact that she started to even describe, like, you know, when I'm sleeping with my boyfriend, I want him to, you know, be just still like, it's just like, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I want to be clear on that. But it's just like, he went as re as dark as you could really go with this. 
Yeah, I did. I forgot about that part where uh, he makes that woman confess her secret. I did forget about that. But I think what I was trying to say was that he would have the dark elements in there, but he wouldn't fixate on them for too long. Mm, like it, it wasn't, okay. I guess that's where I was coming from, but I guess it is, it is really dark. I mean, I'm not yeah. gonna. Oh no. That is sure. another point towards maybe they are aware of what they're doing because during that point, she's confessing the secret. And she also says, I don't want to tell you people this. I don't want to tell anyone this. And then she still tells the secret anyway. So maybe they are aware that they're doing these things while he's manipulating him. Um, I don't know. Is the point? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he. I think um, he wants them to be as, as aware as they can be. I think that. Unfor- I mean, he's pretty sadistic, so I think that adds to the torture element. Mm-hmm. But and we start with the first thing he does for these people is he brings them joy. He just makes them uncharacteristically happy. They're they're really ecstatic to be in this diner. They think everything's going to be okay, um, which is. I, I don't I mean maybe I, I'm not getting it but it seems like a weird first move for someone to be like that's my first move is going to make these people really really happy and then after that we're going to tear your lives down completely I don't know I think I I think that if, if I'm the bad guy here if I'm you know if I'm John D my that is my first move if I want to destroy these people get them comfortable get them happy get them experiencing something that makes them not want to leave. And then, I mean, then you obviously fast forward a little bit to the part where I, the one guy, he mentioned something about, oh, you know, I feel like we've been here for hours. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's coming out. And then it just kind of feels like a time reset. Oh, I feel like we've been here for hours. It, it just, he keeps saying that. But I think that's the thing is like, you want him to be, you want them to be comfortable and happy and earn, you, you earn their trust then you destroy them. And really, I think that's the best way to do it as a villain. You know, if if somebody knows you're a bad guy, they're going to consciously make an effort to avoid you. But if you if you get their trust, and this is what makes him really spooky to me, it's like he earned their trust through his, through his reality he created for them. He earned their trust really quickly, and they eventually became fine with staying. Even though they weren't controlling it, they were fine with it. They're like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, we're here, I love this place. And then he destroyed them entirely. Yeah, I mean, that's... (laughs) Which brings us to our sponsor for the week. Uh, This week's sponsor, the all-night 24-hour diner. The all-night 24-hour diner. Come in and never leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if that uh, slogan would get too many... Would catch too many flies. That's I don't right. know. I mean, isn't isn't that part of that uh, diner that we're not sponsored by? Isn't that part of their thing? It's a house made of not pancakes. That's right. Isn't isn't that like part of their thing? They're open twenty four hours. We, we can't say that. We can't. Yeah, we can't say that place uh, because we're uh, yeah, because we're, we're sponsored, sponsored by the the all night twenty four hour right. diner. Right. <laughs> the all night twenty four hour diner sponsoring your favorite podcast. Thank you, all five of you who listen to us. We appreciate it. That's right. <laughs> well, we're going to be up to six now. We're going to be up to six. Right? Got yeah. Six it's yep. it's, it's going to be the all-night diner. They're going to just turn it on in the, in the diner. <laughs> That's right, to hear the ad play. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. So we, uh, we read Sandman number six this week. We talked about Dr. Destiny. Uh, just as a wrap-up before we uh, talk about what we're reading next week, um, 
scale of one to ten, how how spooky is Doctor Destiny? Man, I mean, I've read some pretty dark comics, but he's up there. He's at least an eight. I was gonna give him a nine right now. Yeah. Um, I've not typically delved into spooky horror dark comics so for me he's a little bit more up there compared to some of the other ones i have read obviously i'm sure that will change in a year when i've read more spooky comics things like that but right now he's sitting at a nine for me because he's intense yeah i mean i was thinking an eight or a nine it's a tough one just the like i've said a few times it's just i think the scariest part about him is you know if People who do evil things just because, I think, are, are pretty scary. I mean, you got, like, the Joker up there, too. And mm. people who just love chaos for chaos's sake, for no reason, not to gain power or anything, I think are the spookiest. Plus, to be able to alter reality on such a wide scale, I think that that's he's got to be way up there. Right. I agree. I agree. I think that is uh, just wanting to watch the world burn. Uh, so it's a little bit like the Joker, but also with this immense power... That's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah, given the so, Joker powers would be scary. So continuing on with our theme for the month of October, our spookiest characters in comics. Uh, Steven, what's our book next week? So next week we're going to read Batman the Dark Knight number 10, Cycle of Violence, written by Greg Hurwitz. And the spooky character in this one is going to be uh, Scarecrow. Nice. I think, yes, he's, I'm excited for everybody if, if you don't know Scarecrow by now, I'm excited for everybody to learn more about Scarecrow. And if you already know Scarecrow, I'm excited to dive into the topic more because immediately when Alex said, you know, spooky and fear, I, I thought of the master of fear himself. There you go. I like it. That's right. That's the only thing we have to be to have to fear is fear itself. Next week <laughs> on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Scarecrow. I'm excited to read the book. Guys, do we have any parting thoughts before we close out for the week? No, this is a great book. Um, I'm actually looking forward to going back and reading more of Sandman. I'm just trying to understand a little bit more of these characters in this world over by Neil Gaiman. And yeah, I'm going to probably check out some more and see where it takes me. It's That was a good read, That especially with the cliffhanger at the end. That was yeah some good stuff. Yeah, and anybody that thinks comics are still for children, I would encourage them to grab Neil Gaiman's Sandman, because I think I'm hoping that will change their mind and give it to your or, child. Yeah, or if give you are a, a nighttime story. <laughs> yeah, yeah if you are a, a children, story. Don't read it. Don't read it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's like Deadpool telling that uh, Ryan. Yeah, now everybody's going to read it. Right. That's right. <laughs> the one the one way to get kids to do things is to tell them not to do it. So tell them not to do it. That's Neil right, Gaiman yeah. sees a bump in sales on this comic. <laughs> Right. So. Don't get a pack of candy cigarettes and don't read <laughs> Sandman number six, kids. <laughs> oh, well, man. we are creepy and we're kooky. We're mysterious and spooky. And that's it for us this week. Uh, we hope you go out and find some spooky things to do on this spooky season. Uh, we hope you look at some skeletons. We hope you get some little Reese's pieces and uh, we hope you go to your local comic shop. We hope you go to the counter. We hope you ask the person at the counter to make yours paperback. We'll see you next week. <laughs>